Hello and welcome to the Weekly Watch podcast series. I'm Giles Gale, Head of European Rate Strategy at NatWest Markets. This series helps you to cut through the noise of global financial markets with a quick take on the upcoming trends to watch. Right, so it's official. The reflation route, or the rage for those non-Americans who aren't so given to military references, finally measures up to the best route of the decade. We've got 10-year Treasury yields now about one and a quarter points higher than when it all started last August. And although the 2013 taper tantrum may have been a bit faster, this move has been pretty one directional. And the last phase has also been every bit as swift. So that's the background to a week that has been completely dominated really by central banks. Last week, you'll recall that the ECB essentially told us that it wasn't very happy about the way that rates had been rising and that it was going to accelerate the rate uh, that it buys bonds in the market to try to slow or even reverse this process. Um, This week, the cycle of central bank meetings completed with the Fed, the Bank of England, and after recording today, we'll have the Bank of Japan. Naturally, markets have been looking for a little more sensitivity to the move in rates, if not particularly expecting um, a robust uh, response, I suppose, or, or, or any concrete actions at this stage. I'm joined in a moment by our US economist, Kevin Cummings, to talk a little bit more about the Fed. But I'll just say now that neither the Fed nor the Bank of England really projected a message of concern about rates being inappropriate given economic conditions, or indeed that they were particularly concerned about a tightening in financial conditions overall. It's also worth saying, even if we repeat later, that um, we seem to be left here with a market that can have more confidence in inflation returning and perhaps a little less confidence that the Fed is interested in containing longer term rates, um, or at least near to where we are now. And I think it's interesting to contrast that with Europe, where markets, to start with, believe less in inflation. Um, so there's less, less of a natural upward pressure on rates. But at the same time, the ECB is actively trying to restrain them. So how have markets been taking all of this? Well, it's Possibly not surprising that the main story is in rates again, where 10-year treasuries rose by another 10 basis points, um, that's 0.1 percentage points after the meeting yesterday, and that's been pulling other global rates along with it. Uh, Other asset classes actually over the whole week have been relatively steady by contrast. As things stand then, our key market views are actually not that much changed. In global rates, we still think that the the UK rates will continue to rise, but in the US we're less convinced and we expect the ECB's support to be enough to broadly stabilize European rates and perhaps even bring them back down a little. When it comes down to it, uh, we also tend to agree with central bankers about financial conditions being pretty easy. So as a consequence, we're relaxed about credit. And as for currencies, we are still positive on sterling and commodity exporters like um, Canadian dollar and the Australian dollar. I'd just like to round up with a couple of other points before we dive into the Fed. The market for inflation protection is an interesting one, and it's been raising its estimates for inflation pretty strongly. And that's a a fairly mature theme in the US, but we're now at quite long-term highs in in Europe. So that's certainly something to watch. 
And in Europe, again, we had a new 23-year French government green bond, which achieved a pretty impressive greenium. Um, and away from financial indicators altogether, I'll just say that COVID themes have probably been the number one talking point for us this week. And by the time you're able to actually listen to this podcast, uh, we'll, we'll, we will know the European Medicines Agency's advice on the Astra shot, which was suspended this week by most European countries. Um, but I'm going to tempt the devil by saying anyway that I assume that it will recommend resuming the Astra uh, vaccine's use. But there is a strong concern in markets that citizens will just assume that where there's fire, there is uh, also smoke, or maybe it's the other way around, maybe <laughs> where there's smoke, there's also fire, and that um, this will at least delay the process of breaking down vaccine hesitancy in Europe. And it also looks like France is going to finally have to accept at least some partial break, um, lockdowns in, in some of the, the larger regions. So overall, it hasn't been a good week for recovery sentiment in Europe, at least from a COVID angle. So with that, um, let's turn to the Fed. Um, markets have been growing skittish lately over concerns that inflation pressures may be posing a bigger danger to, than the Fed thinks. So Kevin, um, what was the main takeaway from this from Chair Powell and the FOMC? Yeah, thanks, Giles. Um, I think the main takeaway is the Fed indicated and, and Powell made reference um, pretty clearly by um, signaling that their reaction function has changed relative to earlier tightening cycles. Um, you know, I think overall the, the signals and the tone of, of Powell uh, suggested a, a bit more dovishness than I think most market participants had expected. Um, you know, they, they as the uh, summary of economic projections showed, uh, Fed officials really pushed up their growth estimates quite sharply for 2021 to account for all the fiscal stimulus since the last time that they put together a set of projections in December. Um, and obviously, there's been better news on um, COVID cases and uh, vaccines. So, you know, growth in, in 2021 is now expected to be six and a half percent. That's up from a little bit above four percent, uh, what they expected in December. Um, at the same time, um, they only made modest changes to their inflation profile, um, while only, and they marked down their unemployment rate all the way down to three and a half percent by 2023. And you know, in, in earlier tightening cycles, that certainly would uh, categorize as sufficient uh, evidence to start liftoff. Uh, but the Fed's median dot uh, for 2023, um, uh, contrary to I think some market participants' expectations, showed no rate hike. Um, there were a couple more uh, officials who were in favor of, or at least penciled in, a hike in 2023, but the median dot, which you know is reflecting the majority of uh, Fed officials, still did not expect to have rates go higher in 23. Um, so I think that's the big change here: is that uh, you know it's very difficult as far as trying to accurately time when the Fed's going to react. You know, two three years down the road, but I think the shift that to say that you've got you know significant uh, above trend growth for the next couple of years, including this year of over six and a half, or six and a half percent, 
the unemployment rate all the way back down to what you know some people think uh, through full employment, and then core inflation um, a tad above their two percent target. Yet the Fed isn't signaling any sort of rate hikes uh, in their uh, projections just yet as as a group. So I think you know that that's the shift here is we've seen. Uh, that they want to not only, I, I think Powell categorized it by saying, you know, they're not going to react pre- preemptively uh, based on forecasts for the most part, that they're going to want to wait and see the actual data before they start to uh, lift off. So they are really emphasizing patience here. Did, what did the dot plot tell us about future policy? Well, yeah, so I think the Fed's going to obviously be very cautious and, and very patient here before they want to actually see that they're achieving their goals before they actually act, uh, as opposed to what they have done in the past when they preemptively saw the unemployment rate going towards uh, full employment and uh, you know in, inflation uh, on its way to reach its goal. Now they actually want to see those goals achieve some overshoot on inflation uh, which in their forecast really doesn't show much of an overshoot up only a tenth above their uh, medium term target. But one of the things I think that was pretty interesting now in this summary of economic projections, we get some more information right after um, the, the packages released with the dot plot. Um, they include some more charts and some more data. And I think one of the things that's worth pointing out is that there were um, just yesterday, there were 11 participants who projected that the core PCE deflator is going to show at least 2.1% in 2023 of the 18 uh, forecasters. And seven of those participants showed, um, or I'm sorry, seven participants at the same time showed um, one hike in, in 2023. The reason why I'm telling you this is if you look back to December, um, just six participants thought the core PCE deflator would be up uh, above or at 2.1% in 2023. Um, and only five of those uh, showed liftoff or, or five participants showed liftoff in 2023. So the, the point I'm trying to make here is, is you saw more participants expecting inflation to go to 2.1% or a little bit higher yet the reaction function is only two participants now versus December when there are a lot less people thinking inflation was going to go that high, switch to say you, we could use another rate hike in 2023. Now, as I mentioned, the median did not change, but um, some of the details behind the forecast are consistent with the idea of a very patient Fed um, and that they're going to want to see you know, a, an overshoot, not just of 2.1%, mo- the majority of them, but probably closer to that, maybe as high as two and a half percent before they actually act. So they've been very vague as far as, you know, how much of an overshoot and for some time, um, but they're doing it on purpose here. And, they're, and they're, they want to kind of feel and want that flexibility when the time comes, I think, to allow themselves to say, Okay, now we're 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 starting to see uh, evidence that inflation is now above two percent on a persistent basis. Then they're going to look at the unemployment rate, and they're going to be able to see, you know, is the unemployment rate above or below full employment? Is it inclusive of all races and genders? 
This is something that has broadened out the scope in the wake of their change to their uh, principles uh, that were announced at the end of last summer at Jackson Hole and their shift towards flexible average inflation targeting and broadening out that scope on the unemployment rate to not just look at the overall unemployment rate, but to look at all the subcategories amongst races and making sure that they get the benefits of really allowing the employment situation to spread out so that all Americans can benefit and to expand that scope because they saw a lot of benefits of wages and, and more inclusive uh, recovery uh, in the U.S. And, and not just looking at, you know, the so-called uh, headline uh, U3 rate in the, uh, in the monthly jobs report. So I think that's, uh, that was another interesting uh, subtle shift to say, you know, their, their reaction function is, it has changed relative to our earlier tightening cycles. So flexible inflation targeting at work. Okay, thank you very much for the update, Kevin. Well, thanks for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Weekly Watch. Please subscribe to our channel to get future episodes. We also encourage you to explore more of our content on our website and other social media channels.